shoebox gifts. I have a pickup truck that needs to be filled up with gifts for me. So forget that shoebox stuff. Get something big, you know. <laughs> uh, truly, Christmas is a time of giving gifts, and what a what a beautiful time to send some shoebox gifts down to to Mexico. Uh, I have been down there when they've opened these shoeboxes before, not necessarily with Mike's brother, but or Bill's brother, Mike. <laughs> but uh, to see the joy in those children's eyes as they open their their gifts is 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 very rewarding. Anyway, Genesis chapter thirteen. We have Sarah, Hagar, her slave girl, Lot. All of these come out of Egypt with Abram. They have witnessed, Abram's family has, the gifts that Pharaoh has given to Abram. He's given him livestock. He's given him cattle. And he gave Abram and Sarah Hagar, a slave girl, who will later become the mother of Ishmael. So Abram's trip down to Egypt, it's had a tremendous consequence on his life. And we'll look into that as we go on in the book of Genesis. But it's interesting to note, disobedience also has its cost. So let's look at Genesis chapter 13, 1 through 13, and we'll pick up the rest of the verses shortly. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanite, the Pezzerites, then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my, and my herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. 
In verse 4, we have Abram goes back and he again finds himself calling on the name of the Lord. His return to Bethel of Cana. And there again, Abram worships God. This indicates that while he was in Egypt, he was not worshiping God. Have you ever been down to Egypt? Have you ever found yourself in a place of separation from God? Perhaps you've been caught up in the cares or the difficulties of daily life. Perhaps you've sinned and you're so embarrassed about your sin that you cannot even go before God in prayer or even repent for that matter. Be like Abram. Return to your Bethel. Return to that place of worship. Return to God and worship him. And again, enjoy the times of refreshing that come from the Lord. Notice Abram returns to e from Egypt and he's very rich. He has livestock, silver, and gold. These are the measures of wealth in Abram's day. and They're sort of the measures of wealth today. Gold happens to be at an all-time high right now. People trying to... Uh, you know, get ahead of the inflation curve and they're buying gold and all this kind of thing. But Pharaoh, he's given Abram gifts. He's given him gifts of livestock, sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, all that kind of thing. And he, as Abram leaves Egypt, he has to take with him another gift, and that is Hagar. But Hagar has to stay with Abram and Sarah because Abram cannot return Hagar to Pharaoh because she has been a gift. You can't return to the king a gift. That's an insult. So Hagar now becomes part of Abram's family. She will eventually become a thorn in the side of Abram and Sarah. She will also bear a son to Abram, Ishmael. And if you know anything about Ishmael, he's the father of the Arabian or the Arab people. Abram, he's disobedient. And with his trip down to Egypt, you know, that just shows his disobedience. But he brought back many gifts from Pharaoh. Some of the gifts good and some of the gifts not so good. And Abram returns to his place of worship. He returns to Bethel. And here's the good news. God receives Abraham. He, didn't, he doesn't reject Abram. And he doesn't say, oh, you've been bad. You've been sinful. So, uh, you know, it's uh, hands off for all. No, God receives Abraham and his worship. And God has blessed Abram even in the midst of Abram's disobedience. Even his going down to Egypt, God blesses. What does that tell us? It tells us that God's blessing doesn't depend on Abram. God in and of himself has declared blessings upon Abram. You know, too many times we think 
God's blessings depend on our behavior, depend on our obedience. And it can to a degree, but not always. We have a clear case here where God is just simply blessing Abram because he wants to. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that we should live a good, obedient life. But the blessings of God are his to give as he sees fit. Now, there's a lot of teaching that goes around in the church today, positive confession and all this faith in my faith movement. God blesses as he sees fit because he is sovereign. But once back in Bethel, we have Abram again worshiping God. Abram and Lot, they have great possessions. They've got herds. They've got much livestock. And they have so much livestock that they can't even dwell near one another because there's not enough uh, grassland to support their herds if they get too close to each other. So Abram comes to, look to Lot and he's got a solution. We must separate. We must separate from one another, and our flocks and our herds must also separate. Here's something to note. Abram, he has learned God will provide for me. So he offers Lot the choice of the pasture land that is before them. He doesn't choose for himself. He gives... It's still alive. <laughs> he gives Lot the choice of the land before him. Abram has learned God provides. Even when Abram is disobedient, God has took care of him. Abram is in the process of learning to trust and have faith in God. Abram has learned a lesson that Lot has not learned, that God is faithful to provide. Even though we are faithless, yet he remains faithful. You ever think on that verse? We try to be faithful, but God is faithful. Here's the thing. It is so culturally wrong. It is so family wrong for Lot to choose the better pasture land than from uh, that of his elder uncle Abram. It is wrong for Lot to even choose, much less choose the better. But as we get into it, we find that Lot chooses the plains of the Jordan. They're described as a garden, much like Egypt. And Lot migrates down towards Sodom. And shortly thereafter, we will read that Lot even moves into the city of Sodom. And God has a commentary in this passage on Sodom. He says, the people of Sodom are exceedingly wicked and sinful. And their sin is against God. They are sinful against God. And that is a truth that we cannot ignore. We can't ignore that because God takes sin personally. All sin is first and foremost against God. 
God, you might say, has drawn a line in the sand, and God himself has determined what is right and what is wrong, and for that matter, what sin is. God will later give the law to Moses, and the law simply points out that we're all sinners. You notice that no one ever kept the law except Jesus. Paul the Apostle said of the law, it is my schoolmaster. Paul wrote, I did not even know coveting was sinful except when I read the law and it told me that coveting is sinful. King David, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He kills her husband Uriah. And then David says something a little unusual. He said, against God and God only have I sinned. Wait a minute. Social justice cries out, how about Uriah and Bathsheba, David? But this only points out and it only shows us God takes all sin personally. First and foremost, all sin is against God. Consider this. It is easy to justify when I sin against another person. It's easy for me to say, well, hey, they just got what they deserved. But it's not so easy to justify sin against God, is it? Because God is perfect. He's holy. And it's not so easy for us to justify sin against a holy, perfect God. When we sin, and we all do, it, it should bring about conviction and it should bring about repentance on our part. But it's easy if I only sinned against another person to make excuse for that sin. We can say things like, oh, he or she, they were so arrogant, I had to put them in their place. <laughs> Just justified my sin. <laughs> no wonder I spoke evil of them. Look at them, you know. And we do that without even thinking. But we usually think twice before we speak evil of God, don't we? So God says, sin is against me, all sin. Have you ever heard a Christian complain about all the difficulties, all the trials that they're going through in their life? Sickness, poverty, strife in relationships, a bad hair day, whatever. <clears throat> Without realizing that person is complaining about how God is working in their life. That's what you're doing. You're saying what's happening to me is not right. And you're complaining about what God is doing in your life. Several years ago, quite a few years ago, there was a movie, Fiddler on the Roof. Tavia, I like that guy. <laughs> He's a Russian Jew. And he complains to God about being a Jew. He says, God, if we're your chosen people, could you choose someone else for a while? And that's how sometimes 
we look upon our difficulties, upon our trials of everyday life. But let me tell you, none of your trials, none of your difficulties are happen chance. They're not just bad luck, quote unquote. Whenever I find myself in the midst of a trial, and you're either in a trial, going out of a trial, or going into a trial. There's no other way for us Christians. But whenever I'm in the midst of a trial, I try to ask myself, why is this trial upon me? What is God trying to show me? What do you want me to learn, Lord? Abram, he has just come up out of Egypt. Egypt, the place of sin, the place of plenty. And Abram, he has benefited from the gifts of Pharaoh for being in Egypt. He's gained livestock. He's gained slaves. But now we find Abram, and he's back at Bethel, where once again he worships God. Once again, he finds that place of fellowship with his God. And it's interesting, the first noteworthy thing that Abram is confronted with, the first thing Abram does is recognize that there is strife between him and Lot and their herdsmen. But now we have Abram who is willing to be obedient to God. And Abram now declares, Lot, we must separate. That happens to be the very first command God gave Abram to leave Ur. Get out of here and get away from your family. We now have Abram willing to do that. But look what he had to go through to get him there. Several years have passed, and now Abram is finally more than willing to separate from Lot. In fact, Abram says, we must separate. You know God is patient with us, and I'm grateful for that. But there's one thing said about God's will. It will be done. God's God. <laughs> he, will, he will have his way and his will in your life. Abram, he's battered, he's bruised, he's a little wiser, and he's willing to obey God now. And that's interesting. When I was in my mid to late 20s, I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. I didn't get in the ministry until I was in my 50s. What does that tell you about me? Fought it. I fought it. And I received a lot of lumps and bruises from my battle with God. And those lumps and bruises are nothing more than God trying to get my attention. That's all they were. And like Abram, I can say to you this morning, I am trying to learn to be obedient to God. And I'm trying to learn, trying to realize that obedience is best. Some of you young men here, and some of you men that are not so young, 
God is calling him, you, to himself. He's doing it. I can only tell you this. You will not have any lasting peace in your life until you surrender to that call. Because it's God calling you. You can go peacefully or you can go kicking and screaming. Which way are you going to make it? <laughs> God's will wins out every time. Every time. Let's look at verse 14. We'll look at verse 14 through 18 now. Lot is separated from Abram. And once again now, God will speak to Abram because Abram is finally obedient in that separation. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from it, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, go through it, its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the Tirbeth tree at Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Abram, lift your eyes. That's God's way of saying, be of good cheer, Abram. This leads us to understand that it's a sad thing when Abram had to separate from his only blood relative, Lot. But it was God's will. Abram, without wanting to, is required to show tough love. We chafe at that, don't we? As a parent, many times we're required to show tough love. When my children were young and little, I determined not to be their best friend because I'd heard too much of this. Oh, you gotta be their best friend. No, I wanted to be a good parent. Let the chips fall where they would. Let me be a good dad and uh, maybe they'll like me. If they don't, I'll, I'll beat it out of them. No. <laughs> but we, we're sometimes afraid to be a parent that shows tough love. Abram is told, lift your eyes. Look away from the situation that you're in, Abram, for I have blessings for you. And God has Abram look out to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. When we were in Israel, we were to a place where they said was probably this high plain, this little plateau where Abram pitched his tent. And you can look out for miles in all directions. And supposedly this was the place where Abram uh, was. It was a vista lookout at that point where you could see and Abram is told by God, I give you and your descendants all that you see, Abram. And I give it to you 
until there's trouble in the land. No. I give it to you until the Palestinians are recognized by the UN, which was this week, by the way. No. I give it to you, Abram, forever. It almost doesn't matter what man does now. God has given it to Abram's descendants. How long? Forever. And I give it to your children, Abram, not your close relatives, your descendants. And your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth or a biblical way to say innumerable. Now rise, Abram, walk throughout the land, the length, the width. I, God, give it to you. So the question becomes, what is God wanting to give to you and to me? How does God want to bless us whom he loves every bit as much as he loved Abram? Sometimes we think God's blessings are just for others like Abram and David and these kinds. No, we are all his children. Understand that. I get to call God my father, Abba. But at this time in Abram's life, all God's blessing are our promises. He doesn't own the land. He's told to walk throughout it. It's not his. He has to receive it by faith. But as Abram's faith grows, we see God more than willing to bless Abram and to fulfill his promises to him. God is working in Abram's life to bring about great blessings. And that requires faith. That requires faith. Know this, my Christian friends. God is working in our lives, each and every one of us, because God has no grandkids. We're all his children. God is working in our lives to bring about great blessings. So lift your eyes. Lift your eyes from the circumstance that you may be in and look upon God's promises to you. And know and understand God is working in your life to bring about those promises. You know that each Sunday morning I close, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's a great blessing. That's not me. That's the Lord's blessing upon you. And I'll do that again this morning. We are to desire God's blessings. We are to look towards them in faith. They are blessings. And if you're here this morning and you want somebody to agree with you in prayer about anything, about provision, about work, about uh, sickness, health, anything, we've got men here that would be happy to pray with you. So don't leave here without getting prayer if you want to agree with somebody in prayer. 
you don't have to pray with us. It's just good for you to pray with us. No, <laughs> you can pray in and of yourself. But it's always good for us to agree in prayer. So let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer.